I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you're new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Let's start off with my favorite topic of this week, and that is the Dancing with the Stars cast has been released. Again, every time I bring up Dancing with the Stars, I realize that a lot of you who listen might not give a shit at all, but I have to go through this cast list, um, hit the high points, because... I just think this might be my favorite cast yet because it's just so random and good and I I love it. Okay, so first up, we have Melanie C, who you might know better as Sporty Spice. I love that she's doing it because also this year we have Cody Rigsby, the most popular Peloton instructor and he is a huge Spice Girls fan, so I love that they're on this together. I would have loved to be there when he found out that a Spice Girl was a fellow cast member because I feel like the cast always ends up getting really close. Um, We have Brian Austin Green, which is fascinating. That's Megan Fox's ex, and he dates Sharna uh, Burness, who is one of the pros. I'm sorry, Sharna Burgess. She's a great, I love her. She's one of my favorite pros. I think she's such a good dancer. She's been on it for years. They are dating. So it's either like, are they going to be paired together? And that's kind of awkward because like seeing real life couples like, you know, rub the nasties together. I don't know if I love that, but it's even more uncomfortable if they're with other pros. Like I just, I can't wait to see how they do that. We have Olivia Jade, who is Lori Laughlin's daughter. So she was very famous for the Varsity Blues scandal, who had the fake rowing pictures um, to get into USC. She's a YouTube star. She's definitely an influencer in her own right. She went on Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith to kind of reboot her image. And I think this is more on her path of rebooting her image. I'm sure she's going to give like a little bit of a sob story really try to get the audience on her side. We have Matt James because they always love to have a bachelor, bachelorette tie-in. He was the most recent bachelor. I feel like people going into it were like really obsessed with Matt. And then by the end of it, I felt like the tides had kind of turned against him. I didn't watch his full season, but I wonder if this could also be some image rehabilitation on his part. Uh, Amanda Klutz, who sadly her husband passed away from covid complications and she's really good friends with like zach braff and florence Pugh. i think her storyline will be very heartfelt a lot of like personal redemption a lot of her husband watching her from above they they really love to pull at the heartstrings on dancing with the stars so i can already tell i'm gonna cry this season we have suni lee my favorite little olympian so cute i'm so excited for her Kenya Moore from Real Housewives of Atlanta. Love a Real Housewives inclusion. As we spoke about before, we have Jojo Siwa, who's going to be the first uh, to have a same-sex dancing partner. I'm just, I just like can't wait. There's some other people. There's, there's more people to the cast. There's an NBA player, Amon Schumpert. We have uh, Melora Hardin from The Office. Some people I just am not familiar with um, from my own ignorance, but... I'm I'm just I can't wait. It comes out September 20th and I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be rooting for Suni, JoJo, and Cody Rigsby. Again, all three of them have a leg up though because Cody was like a music video dancer, like went on tour with people as a dancer before he was a Peloton instructor. JoJo Siwa obviously has a dance background. Suni is very bodily aware because of her gymnastics background, so 
again, I just, I, I can't wait. I, watch along with me so we can discuss because I'm telling you guys the production value, the storylines, the, uh, the high stakes, just knowing how physically hard this is on these people. Like I can't imagine poor Suni Lee, like being a freshman at Auburn, having just won gold at the Olympics, all eyes on her on the Auburn Olympics team, juggling being in college for the first time. And then all of the hard work that goes into being on dancing with the stars. I mean, props to her that is a lot for anyone to take on let alone an 18 year old um speaking of other celebs and interesting pairings we've talked to them here about olivia munn and john mulaney dating olivia munn's an actress john mulaney's a comedian he sort of famously went into rehab ended his uh, marriage with his wife who and they were kind of like one of those couples that people were like if they ever break up love is dead you know I feel like they had a lot of pressure on their relationship because of kind of how uh John's family life was worked into his comedy sketches so I feel like people really felt like they knew them as a couple um but yeah he's and they did not have a child together they had a dog and now he very quickly got pregnant with Olivia Munn and this had been rumored because there was photos of her very looking very obviously pregnant uh she was like in sweats and like a baggy shirt and I mean it was she looks like she's probably at least five months along now honestly uh, at least because she's definitely popped um and so that kind of sent everyone into a frenzy and he confirmed it on a late night talk show that she's in fact pregnant I think he almost kind of had to at that point once those pictures came out because again it was it was like very very obvious um I I read an article about this from Madeline Kircher who actually is one of the hosts of uh in case you missed it podcast and I actually knew her before because she had like internet beef with Caroline Calloway, who we love to talk about on here. Um, She wrote an article about parasocial relationships and how that's really kind of affected um, this news with Olivia Munn and John Mulaney. And the idea is that we have these parasocial relationships with celebrities where we like feel like we know them, you know, podcast hosts, especially because I think, again, this is such like an intimate way of speaking to someone. You feel like you know these people and that you're, they're your friends. And in reality, like it's a one-sided relationship, even though I would love to be friends with anyone who listens to my podcast. Like if we haven't talked, like reach out. I I am accessible. This does not have to be a parasocial relationship. This can be a two-way thing. Follow me at Bailey Evan or Kind of Cute Podcast. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts and I would love you forever. Um, but it was just talking about, you know, how we, we as like fans have this one-sided relationship with people who are on TV. And, and again, we feel like we know them and kind of the danger in that because we feel like we can somehow know what's going in on in their personal life when we only have a surface level idea of it. And it's something that I'm aware of and I kind of struggle with talking constantly about celebrities, realizing that I only see such a small glimpse and it's not reality and I don't know them on a personal level. Um but yeah, it's funny with certain celebrities how I think this idea of a parasocial relationship and people's investment in the relationship can really be highlighted. And I think that's definitely at play here why people were like very up in arms about the fact that she was pregnant. And speaking of celeb pregnancies, uh, Jennifer... Uh, <laughs> oh my God, I like Jennifer Lawrence. I, I like could not think of her name beyond J-Law. I was like, J-Law. Um, and her husband, Cook Maroney are also pregnant. Oh, I hate when I say that they're both pregnant. No, like J-Law is pregnant. 
and I know we've been in this realm for a while, but the idea of people who are younger than me, actresses that are younger than me, like having babies, it really is like a rude awakening that I'm still like, you know, about to go get wasted on a Saturday and day drink with my friends, which I love, very thankful for. But I'm like, oops. I mean, wow, people are having real life children. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of another celebrity couple, we have Amelia Gray, who is Lisa Renna's daughter um, and Harry Hamlin's daughter. Lisa Renna is on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but was like a very famous soap opera actress before that and actress in general. Um, she was dating Scott Disick. She was much younger than him. She's not even 21 yet, cannot legally drink. He is in his 40s. Um or late 30s. They had like a, a pretty significant age gap. And I think <laughs> this most recent season of Real Housewives, you see that Lisa Rinna is like kind of horrified by the relationship, but clearly loves that Amelia was dating someone Kardashian adjacent. She even says this line though at one point. She goes, Scott Disick, like why Scott Disick? Why couldn't it have been Harry Styles? <laughs> Like, yeah, the fact that actually like Harry Styles probably would be somewhat accessible to your daughter, like the fact that you have the power to say that, I love it. Um, But I think we all knew that relationship was going to be fairly short lived. So it has finally come to an end in case you you were invested. Let's get into our first article of the day. These leggings may ruin your life by Claire Lampin. I love this little lead in that Claire did because I've watched this whole documentary series and I thought she did a good job of kind of summing it up. So I'm going to read what she wrote. Lula Rich, a new Amazon docuseries about leggings that ruin lives. At first, this struck me as an impossible proposition, but I had never heard of LuLaRoe, a multi-level marketing company that rocketed to a $2 billion valuation on the currency of its exuberantly patterned loungewear. Targeting stay-at-home moms, typically of the white Christian persuasion, LuLaRoe allegedly sold the same dream to legions of women. You really can have it all. More time with the kids, more money, more independence, and without ever leaving the house. It's the same Hey Hun, Lura MLM's often cast to reel in recruits. But Lula Rich takes us on a dizzying climb of the scaffolding behind the charade. We are talking about a racket run on elastic pants and loud, violently colored prints and the woman who sold whole freezers full of breast milk to join it. Over four episodes, the calamity keeps spiraling, uncovering new layers of misogyny and deception the farther down filmmakers dig. Now, I'm going to kind of get into this, so if you really are like worried about spoilers, you can skip this segment. But I think with most documents, docu-series like the the power is in the journey it's in the little interviews with the people who are directly involved in this so I don't think me hitting on the high points is like that much of a spoiler but I just wanted to warn you just in case so if you're not familiar with LuLaRoe I actually am because I um I don't want to like out anyone but I know someone who who sold it so I kind of saw it up close and personal I never went to like an actual party Kenzie did she went when she was in college because like one of her sorority sisters I think had some of the parties um and it's kind of the same idea as like a Tupperware party which was like the first MLM to kind of use this technique where women would host a party at their house they would have the products they'd invite their friends and you could buy the products right on the spot weirdly enough we also had like when I was in college, this lady who had like a was part of um, a sex toy MLM came and sold sex toys at our sorority. And at the time, I didn't understand that it was equivalent to a Tupperware party. And I was just generally very confused. But I think she made pretty good money because um, a lot of people bought those little vibrators. Just saying. 
Um, so this though is like it's stretchy clothing. It started out with maxi skirts actually, and I I do have to give credit to Deanne. Uh, she Deanne and Mark are a married couple. They are Mormon. They have oodles of kids, oodles of siblings. Um, she didn't have a lot of money, so she started selling like little girls' dresses and that she bought from a company because she thought they were super cute. She would keep the profit on them. This kind of transitioned into her making little maxi skirts after her daughter requested her to sew a stretchy maxi skirt. Those started being bought. And so when Lula Roe originally started, it was mainly maxi skirts. And they brought on what they call retailers, which were basically people who worked below them to also sell the skirts. So the retailers would buy the skirts at wholesale value and then sell at a retail value and that's how they would make money uh, a pretty standard business model for multi-level marketing schemes and it really blew up is the only way to to put it lightly and one of the people they interview was actually the third retailer so obviously she made a ton of money because the general concept of multi-level marketing is that you have people in your upline and your downline. And so anyone that you recruit is in your downline and any money that they uh, spend on the company is going to flow upwards to you. And when LuLaRoe began, the way that bonuses were awarded was that you would get a bonus just based on the people buying the startup inventory to sell. And the startup costs for LuLaRoe were very high. They were between $5,000 and $10,000. So $5,000 if you bought a more like standard pack of clothes uh, with less clothing and $10,000 if you wanted more sizing, more more types of clothing. And like I said, the people on the upline would get a cut of uh, people signing up beneath them. And it's to me very like it, it's a pyramid scheme, like period, because they're not originally the people in the upline they weren't profiting off the people below them actually making sales they were profiting off of them buying the inventory from LuLaRoe itself and obviously the people who got in early as with most MLMs the people who get in early are going to be more successful because they're able to get more people in their downline um and people were getting crazy bonuses. They talk about people getting like $150,000 bonus a month. Like it really was lucrative. And I'm telling you, the way this thing grew, at one point, I think it said they had 80,000 retailers. And retailers are just like the women who are buying this to sell on their own. It's not like a Nordstrom. Uh and like I do have to give Deanne, one of the founders, props for like she did start it kind of from nothing. But it's interesting because Deanne, um, Claire writes, looks like bridesmaid font incarnate, hair dyed the color of butter and sprayed into stiff mermaid waves. She favors bold costume jewelry and telegraphs a threatening enthusiasm. Acquaintances describe her as charismatic, excitable, and above all, chaotic. And her maiden name is actually Startup, which I find ironic and I love it um and per BuzzFeed she is Mormon royalty she's descended distantly from the first American to make a filled candy bar and directly from the woman who authored the secret power of femininity a handbook for husband hunting that touts the following mantra for singles I am just a helpless woman at the mercy of you big strong men 
Deanne apparently rolled this attitude over into the LuLaRoe ethos. In the documentary, defectors recalled Deanne suggesting they fillet their husbands daily to secure a healthy leggings allowance. She literally is like, just five minutes a day, honey. <laughs> Mark's explanation behind the business model seems similarly revealing. If you want to create create incredible wealth, identify an underutilized resource. And you know what? There's an underutilized resource of stay-at-home moms. And just to go a little bit more in kind of like the arc of this story. So at its peak, you know, they had 80,000 plus retailers. They are having these huge events where Katy Perry is hired to give a private concert. It's almost like Scientology-like because they have these big things where they're just like hyping up the crowd or like Tony Robbins, like Tony Robbins mixed with Scientology. Uh, Very cult-like just in the fervor and excitement for it and people's obsession with selling these ugly ass leggings. I mean, I'm sorry, they are truly heinous. <laughs> One of the girls who was my favorite that they interviewed was a an ex-graphic designer for LuLaRoe and she said like the pressure that would put on, was put on the artist was so insane. Like they were forced to create 100 prints a day and she's like, yeah, they were all ugly but like I did what I had to do <laughs> and it also caused there to be copyright issues because people were so trying to make so many prints, they would just take images off Google, barely change them and slap them on the leggings. Um, And apparently they were told they had to change images 20% from Google to not get caught for copyright, which is just stupid because like you can still, (laughs) you can still have a copyright claim against you. And like, what exactly is changing at 20%? You know, like that's, that's a little vague throughout this. I was wondering, I was like, did LuLaRoe have attorneys? Because they just made so many bad decisions as a company that I'm like, I can't imagine an attorney signing off on this behavior. Um, So the downfall came when a lot of lawsuits basically alleged that Deanne and Mark were scammers, they were running a pyramid scheme, the state of Washington brought a huge civil suit against them, and on top of that, at the same time as these uh, lawsuits were being brought, the quality of LuLaRoe was going down a lot. The leggings were ripping, they were being delivered like wet, smelly, moldy, and apparently this was because... um, the clothes, there have been so many of them. There were so many clothes because there were so many retailers that they no longer had room in their main office. So the clothes were just being stored outside, like in the California weather, um, which is usually f- nice and fine, but like things were getting sun bleached. Obviously, it's going to rain sometimes. You're going to get moisture in it by having it outside. And the company was like not refunding people when they were getting disgusting product so these people were putting in their own money ten thousand dollars and getting defective product and then taking the loss on it because LuLaRoe wouldn't take it back and so this eventually led to LuLaRoe for a little bit enacting a 100% full refund policy there's emails shown saying like this refund policy will not change so this is when all hell broke loose because people were under the impression that oh if I don't sell these clothes they'll be bought back by the company. They completely went back on that and people were just screwed and left with all this merchandise that they couldn't sell when they had previously been told that they would be able to get it for a 100% refund. So things just really started kind of falling apart at the seams. But just so you're aware, I just checked this morning, the LuLaRoe site is still up and running. They're still recruiting people to sell their products. They've changed the format a little bit. Now it's only like $500 to only quote unquote to buy your first amount of inventory and 
they have, I think, re-implemented their refund policy. They've also changed their bonus structure because as one of the men in the series says, they were trying to get away from being a pyramid scheme. And that person was one of the sons of Deanne and Mark. They have so many kids. Like I can't even, I think they have 14 and they have grandkids. And guys, the wildest part that kind of just got skirted over was that two of the kids are married to one another. And Deanne and Mark are just like chill with this. So like, yeah, this worked out really nicely. I think it was two of the kids who were adopted. So yeah, they're not blood related, but I'm sorry. They're siblings. Like, you know, get a little bit outside the house, get a hinge. Like we don't need to be dating our sisters. It's just, and marrying them. I mean, holy shit. Another part that like blew my mind. It's it says departed employees say that Deanne pressured her favorite consultants into getting gastric bypass surgery in Tijuana, as Seth Cohen would say, from a doctor with whom she had seemingly cut a deal. Deanne denies boosting the surgeries as a side hustle, explaining she was simply happy to pass along her secret to anyone who marveled at her skinniness. But if you watch this and you see the text, it was so clear that like her and her sister, Deanne and her sister, were getting a cut from this doctor because her sister would like bust the girls down to Mexico to get their gastric bypass surgery. It was a sleeve, actually. And one of the women, it, women, it was kind of sad because she was like, I don't want to go to Mexico to do it. Like, I, I don't want to get the sleeve. I'm just going to get the balloon here, here in America, literally because she felt so pressured by Deanne. And she gets the balloon and she has a lot of um, side effects from it. It has to have it removed. She's paid out of pocket for this surgery. I mean, just the whole freaking mess. And it was partially because she felt so insecure because Deanne kept implying that she was like too fat and needed to get gastric bypass sleeve. I mean, it's just utterly wild behavior. And the fact that she would quote a lot from her mom's book, The Secret Power of Femininity, that I mentioned earlier and just very old-fashioned ways of thinking. And this is kind of touched on in the documentary that it was kind of this girl boss culture, but at the same time, it was like, you should be subservient to the man. You should like know your role in the family. And then at the same time, trying to get the men to come into the LuLaRoe business so that they would have like complete control over the family unit. I mean, again, Deanne's like, power plays fascinating and the thing I could not stop focusing on I kept saying it to Kinsey because it was really wilding me out is they juxtapose her actual interview with the documentarians which I always love when like the controversial characters are willing to give interview because this is done by the same people who did um, the fire festival documentary on Hulu which um, Billy McFarlane was in so they have Mark and Deanne giving interviews, but they juxtapose it with interview footage from their depositions from mostly, I think, the Washington State civil case. And as someone who has sat through a lot of depositions, it is not a pleasant process for the people who are getting deposed. I mean, you're you're pretty much getting interrogated for sometimes um, the entire day, and then you have to come back and do, you know, two more days. So, by the end of it, I mean, it is, it's a harrowing process, I would say, for the people getting questioned, especially if they've never done a deposition before and you don't know exactly what's going to be asked of you. And obviously you're testifying under penalty of perjury, like everything you say has to be truthful. But usually, uh, my, <laughs> from my perspective, people 
are themselves for the most part when they're giving a deposition. They might be nervous. They might, you know, whatever, but they're themselves. So it was so fascinating to see the difference in personality of who Deanne presented when she was in her interview versus her deposition. And to me, that's why when I was kind of like, oh, she's the shadiest one in this of all. Like uh, Mark, her husband, is like, a chauvinistic white man who thinks he's right about everything and that meritocracy meritocracy will get you everywhere in the world and like not accounting for any of the privilege that he has but Deanne like she's a little diabolical that's why I believed everything like I was like oh she was definitely pressuring people to get a bypass sleeve um my favorite character in it is Lachey she used to work at the LuLaRoe headquarters and she just like cracked me up because she was just so blunt I loved it at one point she was like one of the incentives, if you sold um, $12,000 worth of LuLaRoe a month, you got to go on the LuLaRoe cruise. And Lachey's like, yeah, I qualified, um, but I turned it down. She's She says, you know, I love white people, but I was just not about to be like one of five black people on a cruise with all these white people, LuLaRoe people. <laughs> She's dying. Like, again, she watch it just for her, if nothing else, because she's so funny. Um, again, I, I really don't think I spoiled or even like scratched the surface of everything that goes down in this. It's four parts. Each episode is about 45 minutes. So if you have Amazon prime video and are able to watch it, please do again, discuss that with me, discuss the dancing with the stars cast with me. I'm eagerly awaiting to hear from you. All right. Our next article, what's going on with Britney's conservatorship? This is again by Claire Lampin. I just wanted to give you guys a quick little update um, because recently Jamie Spears, her father, he actually filed a petition to end the arrangement, which is going to give more uh, power to the idea that this should end because obviously Britney just recently was petitioning for the conservatorship to end. But now with Jamie Spears also filing a petition, I think it's going to make it way more likely that um, the judge is going to grant this. And as Claire writes, it's a stunning reversal from the steadfast position he's held for 13 years. And it says, what happens next? As of now, Brittany's next hearing will take place on September 29th, so a couple weeks from now, and Judge Penny will have to approve Jamie's petition to end the arrangement, and at that point, it will be over. But I could see the judge putting in some some boundaries where she might not be completely free, if you will. I could still see her um, finances being managed in some way, maybe a trust put in place, like something. I just, I don't know if I see like full control being given back to Brittany, but I think this is definitely a step in the right direction. So wanted to share that update with you guys. All right, next up, working at Brandy Melville sounds like an absolute nightmare by Danielle Cohen. <laughs> she writes, Brandy Melville, the shoddily made uniform of Coachella goers and Soho loving teens is shaping up to be one hellish place to work. The brand is the subject of a new business insider report from Kate Taylor that makes the retailer sound like a disturbing composite of every toxic, ra- sexist, racist company you've ever read about. And I was so disappointed because I really wanted to read the original business insider piece, but it's a behind a paywall and I couldn't even get like one free article. And But I think business insider does really great uh, investigative pieces like this and I'm hoping that the cut is giving us a good rundown, but again, I would love to read the original. I might just need to pay like the subscription and cancel it just to read it because I'm fascinated. And I, you know, as this article points out, I don't know if people are really uh, surprised by this information because Brandy Melville is known for selling clothing that is one size fits most, even though as someone who's been in a Brandy Melville 
store, I can vouch, it is like teeny tiny baby t-shirts. I have never bought anything from Laura. Like it would cover one nipple if I was lucky. Like maybe I could fit into a sweatshirt, like maybe, but it would probably fit like fitted. So, um, you know, I think any store that its ethos is kind of about like selling one size fits most like, and those sizes are not, um, even on the medium size, like no. So it says that at the New York flagship store, the top executives, guys, this part shook me, like get ready. A group of white men in their 30s led by CEO Stephen Marson work in an elevated area from which they can watch the mostly teenage customers take their pick of crop tops and floral miniskirts. If they like what they see, white, blonde, thin, they can set off a light at the cashier downstairs, signaling that someone on the floor should ask for the customer's picture and contact information. This to me is the same idea of like CEOs have a button where they can like shut their door, like, but worse. And then, so once that's done, it says, after a round of face tuning by middle management, company leaders take a look at the candidate's photo and possibly her Instagram account. I don't get that, like a round of face tuning, like they face tune the Instagram pictures. It says, if she fits the bill, they reportedly hire her on the spot by text, determining her pay based on those same photos. Like, that is horrifying. That is something I would expect, not even of a Hooters. Ugh. And then the process went on even from there. Like it gets even like more disturbing because once you actually get the job, you're allegedly supposed to send daily photos of your outfit directly to Marson who receives upwards of 2000 texts each day showing these outfits. There's store-wide diets ahead of his visits. Um, Allegedly, 14-year-old girls are being told to change in front of the executives. There's been requests to remove black shoppers from the stores. Like, this stuff is repulsive. And obviously, along with this, there's, of course, allegations of abuse, harassment, running rampant. There are screenshots from a 30-person text group called Brandy Melville Gags. And it shows Marsan and his little cronies sending all types of Ugh, disgusting messages, including Nazi references, Holocaust jokes, photos of naked women, and racist memes or photos. I mean, can we just close Brandy Melville down? I-, I continue to be alarmed that men like this are just in such high positions of power. Because, I-, I mean, I've said it a million times. I'm not saying women are immune to poor behavior. Clearly, Deanne, like, shady as hell. But this is just on another level. Um... I, I need to be like cleansed after reading that article because it's just so gross. So let's get to a much lighter subject. And my I think about this a lot. And in the year of strange celebrity pairings, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that Avril Lavigne, he was a skater boy, dated Brody Jenner for two years from 2010 to about 2012. She even had a tattoo of his name on her. The street style of them is so good i mean since they dated for two years there's so many pictures of them together and they were kind of like the mid-aughts version of kravis like courtney kardashian and travis barker to me because they kind of took on each other's styles he definitely like was a lot edgier dressing there's him in like an anarchy shirt oh he he just this was like at his prime though like i mean he still looks perfect but he looks so good even wearing just like He's literally wearing flip-flops in a photo and like a man tee and a trucker hat. And I'm still like, wow, amazing 
chef's kiss. I also love this particular picture because he's carrying a Kitson bag, which is very relevant to our last week conversation. And I was trying to Google how they met and I couldn't get a definitive answer on that. Um, but again, if you want to just really have a little trek down memory lane, just look up some photos of them. And I also think it's impressive they dated for two years. Like that's a pretty long relationship for Brody Jenner. He is not like, I feel like he kind of jumps from one person to the next. Oh, there's also an amazing picture where I think it's at, it's either an album release party for her or her birthday. And she has this cake with like her photo on it and lime green accents and it's all lime green accents at the party so he's wearing this neon green tie that matches and she he's just like gazing up at her adoringly it's amazing there's a photo of Brody and Avril on a double date with Chris Humphreys and Kim Kardashian like just what a simpler time of celebrity culture all right guys let's get on to the legit shit of the day I know I share a lot of skincare things on here, and I know skincare is not a one-size-fits-all, but I have talked many times about how much I love tretinoin, which is uh, retin-A, retinoic acid, and I just think it changes your skin, and it'll keep you young-looking. So if you don't have any, first off, this is I wish this was an ad, but if you're like someone who just feels too lazy to go to the dermatologist, but you want to get retin-A, there are so many online sites that make it so easy. Like, um, I used Mint RX. I usually get it from my dermatologist, but I was just being lazy about scheduling an appointment and I needed to like refill my, I just didn't feel like going there to be honest. I was lazy. So Mint RX, you just go on, you fill out like why you want it for it. Just, you could just say like anti-aging, acne, whatever it is. And you take a picture and honestly, like you'll, a, a doctor will review your request and give you a prescription if they feel like it's right for your skin and it gets shipped to your door and it's amazing and it costs about uh, probably like $80 um but you use a pea-sized amount so it's a tiny tube but it honestly lasts me usually like half a year I like the gel formulation I feel like my skin tolerates it a lot better than the cream I'm talking all about this that's not even my legit shit because I'm pretty sure I've, I've had that as a legit shit before my legit shit is azelaic acid it's spelled A-Z-E-A-L-I-C. I might be saying it wrong. The kind I bought is Paula's Choice. This is the first thing I've ever bought from Paula's Choice. I got it from Sephora. It's the Paula's Choice Azalic Acid Booster. Of course, linked in the show notes. And when used with Retin-A, I swear it helps so much with like keeping the flakies down because when I was getting laser, I couldn't use my Retin-A. So I was kind of having to go through the whole purge and the peeling that you get when you start using Retin-A because sometimes that can last like six months. Like it, it takes a little while for your skin to get accustomed to it. But using the azelic acid in the morning, I use the Retin-A at night, azelic acid in the morning, and then obviously SPF because you really need that when you're using Retin-A. And I'm telling you, it's just helped so much. And I feel like it's just like made the results of my Retin-A even better. So if you're interested in like love skincare like me, like look into these things. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dermatologist, but I do know like I feel like I love skincare and I kind of try to study it and I love learning about it. And I'm telling you, these two products together are a game changer. There's lots of other companies that make azelic acids. I just was like looking for one that I could easily get. And so obviously one on Sephora is easy to get. But you can also get prescription azelic acid that's a higher concentration and it's usually prescribed for rosacea so it can actually also help with redness in your skin hyperpigmentation it's an exfoliator which is why it also helps with um 
the exfoliation that you get from a retin-a so that's it for this week guys i will see you next week bye